Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Queerness, and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Kadabi, has nonverbal autism. And I now call the 16th meeting of Spew to order. Hey, Queerness, how are you? I am doing very well. Good, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, not much has happened, and this has actually been legitimately two weeks since the last time we recorded, and not much has happened. Well, we moved, and it's done, thank goodness. (laughs) And there's not a lot of important dates this time, either. Mm -mm. Just in this last half of the month, we have James Potter's birthday, March 27th, which I did not mark which James Potter. I'm assuming the original. Yeah, I would assume so. So today, we are talking about Chamber of Secrets. Yay! Which Chamber of Secrets was released in 1998, in 1999 in the US. This is actually the first book where we have a hint at the weird timeline. It comes in the form of a cake. (laughs) Uh, we know that Nearly Headless Nick's death day party is his 500th, and his cake says that he died October 31st, 1492, which is the same day that James and Lily died. Just 500 years earlier. <laughs> 490 years earlier? Oh, true. <laughs> Specificity, it's important for some reason. Well, and I can't math right now, so don't hold it against me. This book also contains a lot of changes between the U.S. and U.K. version that came about from J.K. Rowling worrying about the second book living up to the hype of the first book. And so she made a lot of edits and changes after the first edition was actually published. There is one specific conversation, though, that has never been added to the U.K. edition, apparently. And this is uh, right after they can't get through the gate. And Ron suggests that they take the car. Harry asks how his parents would get home, and he explains briefly about apparating. Why these two paragraphs haven't been added back in, I don't know. They seem quite important to me. Yeah. Was So was this only in the American version? Yes. I think a few other versions, but most of the other changes and edits that she made was added into the UK version later, but these two paragraphs were not. Hmm. Another thing that confused me as I was reading this and then I had to look it up is that Moaning Myrtle's bathroom is described inconsistently throughout the books. The location of it, yeah. Yeah, it is stated, and I believe it's only stated twice, once by Hermione at the death day party, and the other time is actually in Cursed Child by McGonagall, and that is, it is said to be on the first floor. However, when they go there, Harry goes up to the ground level where the Great Hall is, and then goes up two more flights of stairs to where the bathroom is. Mm-hmm. Which then is confused even further by the U.S. and the U.K. numbering floors differently, apparently. Oh, okay. So here in the U.S., you enter the building on the first floor, and you go up one flight to the second floor. In the U.K., you enter a building on the ground floor and go up one flight to the first floor. Oh. 
okay. So it is described as being on the second floor in the UK, but the third floor in the US. So there's inconsistencies as to which floor it actually is. And then the video games confuse that even further because it like fluctuates (laughs) between the second and third floor. So nobody knows where Moaning Myrtle's bathroom is. Oh. Okay, let's get started on our actual, like, chapter-by-chapter read-through here. Yeah. In the first chapter, the first thing that really kind of popped out at me is when Harry says, you've forgotten the magic word, and Vernon's response to this is, I will not tolerate mention of your abnormality under this roof. (laughs) The Dursleys are really mean. They really are. There's just no nice way about it. And what what really jumped out to me in this chapter was when the writer says, as a matter of fact, he was not as normal as could possibly be. I don't know. I just love that line. It, It just always sticks with me, just like it did in the first book, that the Dursleys were as normal as possible. Then another thing that really struck me in in the first chapter is this very structured dinner party they're trying to plan for some of Vernon's, I guess, investors or or something to that effect. And they, like, have it timed down to the minute. And I just, ah, it makes my head hurt a little bit to think of how structured it really is. Yeah, that's kind of a weird, like, not really OCD, but that very structured, very, it's gonna happen this way, and anything that strays from this is wrong, and how I relate to that very much, but Mm -hmm. abnormalities are bad. Yeah, it's a bad word. (laughs) In the second chapter, I was just kind of struck by how worried Harry is about offending Dobby. Yes, Harry is very polite. He just, Dobby is like intruded and is making a lot of noise and Harry's just very worried about saying the wrong thing and just trying to talk to him reasonably and I just found that very comforting. Also, I had to look up what candied violets are and they are literally just candy-coated flowers and you eat them. Why would you want to eat a flower? I don't know. Okay. I would like to note that I had to <laughs> I had to Google what a kipper was when they were talking about a breakfast food. I had to Google what that was because I had no idea. <laughs> Do you know what it is? A what? I don't remember this. A kipper. It's a herring? It's a fish. Like a whole fish. Interesting. Thought you should know. Okay. So without further ado, <laughs> <laughs> back to Dobby, I... Uh, I thought it was so sad that he was just, I mean, I can remember even the first time ever reading this book, not even this pastime for us to do the podcast on it. But I remember the first time reading it and just being so sad at how Dobby was not used to being treated decently. I mean, and I say decently very loosely, but decently by wizards. I remember just being so heartbroken. And then, uh, <laughs> and then the fact that Harry thought a possible scenario in the midst of all of this craziness and havoc that Dobby is causing in the Dursley household, he thought a possible scenario would be the Dursley- Dursleys would tell their dinner guests that our nephew is very disturbed and we don't allow him to mix with company. That made me sad too. Yes. It is a very accurate thing that they would say and feels very late 80s, early 90s description of how to describe a severely autistic person. That's, yes, you hit the nail on the head. That's what I thought of. 
The refrigerator child, yeah. That's what it felt like. Going back to Harry just kind of like assuming the best in people and trying to be like this perfect person in this situation where no one else is. Harry just assumes that Ron, Fred, and George show up to help him and never occurs to him that they're actually there to try to break him out. No. (laughs) He's like (laughs) clutching desperately to the bars on his window like, hey, I need you to go get your parents and... <laughs> and then Ron, Fred, and George were just like, mm, no, we're just going to get you out of here. <laughs> we didn't drive all this way for nothing. I also found it odd that they were able to pick the lock from the inside like that. Like, would there not be just like chains on the outside of the door? Yeah, I remember trying to like picture this one in my mind, and I don't see how this would happen. I mean, if he had a key lock on the inside, that's fine. But then is there also one on the outside of the door? I'm I'm assuming that the idea is that the door is like turned around so that the knob is on the outside so they can lock him in. And then the key lock would be on the inside. But that seems like a lot of work when they could have just put chains on the outside of the door. Yeah, just put a deadbolt. (laughs) I also was struck by Mrs. Weasley's almost split personality, how she was just like yelling at at Ron and the twins and then immediately being lovely to Harry. <laughs> Another thing was very much like Arthur's obsession with muggle things. It, it's very much how one of the, I'm trying to think of another word other than symptoms, but how we like one very specific thing and just enjoy everything about it and collect it and learn everything there is to know about that one specific subject. I love Arthur's obsession with Muggle stuff too. And I also love that pretty much throughout the entire rest of the series, we don't find another wizard with this, um, hobby. (laughs) Doesn't Arthur have a co-worker though? I think he has one. I think there's one other wizard in his department, but I know it wasn't like a, you know, a whole team. There's like one other person that you never hear about and it's just kind of like... Probably does not want anyone to know he works in that department. Probably. (laughs) In the next chapter, this is, again, in the chapter that we enter Diagon Alley, vampires are again mentioned before they actually enter Diagon Alley. Mm -hmm. It's becoming a pattern. I also was very taken by Lockhart's love of alliteration. (laughs) Alliteration is good. Good, great, good. Great. Greatly good. Greatly good. (laughs) Arthur calls escalators escapators. I know. Not saying correct words is also good. Sometimes it is definitely not good. I also absolutely love the Grangers. I forgot that they showed up ever. And the fact that they just kind of show up and let all this nonsense go on around them. It just, I love them so much. I know. They're just so, um, (laughs) they're so adorable. They just are like, okay, well, our daughter is a witch and we fully support her in whatever we do. And we're going to go help her get her school supplies, even though we know absolutely nothing about this wizarding world. (laughs) It's so cute. Oh, and I just love the fact that Arthur is just like, look, they're changing muggle money. Molly, look. (laughs) It just, yes. (laughs) Grangers are adorable. And then also, Hermione is excited about meeting Lockhart for no other reason than he wrote all the books. I I don't think she, she doesn't have the books yet. No. So she doesn't know who he is. All she knows is he wrote all the books. And we all know Hermione loves books. Loves them. That would be, I guess, her obsession would just be books and gathering knowledge in general. So yeah, of course Hermione's excited. My takeaway was Lockhart's singular obsession 
with fame and everything literally revolving around that. Mm-hmm. 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 Ugh. Attention-seeking. It, it, ugh. Ew. <laughs> I, I am noticing another pattern that I had not picked up on earlier, and that is throughout this book, people's obsessions with very specific things are rampant throughout the book. Yeah, I def- I, we're starting to get to know the characters better, even even the new characters that we didn't meet in the first book. You know, there's definitely more, I guess, of a story arc and more of a detailed story arc for each character in this book, I think. I agree. Mm-hmm. This is also the chapter where Lucius... Lucius? Lucius. He, uh, I always thought it was Lucius, but in the UK audiobook... He pronounces it as Lucius. Well, that's just not right. Lucius, no. Lucius. Dang it, now I've confused myself. <laughs> Malfoy's dad. Draco Malfoy's dad. Malfoy Sr., if you will. Malfoy's dad, Malfoy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he slips the diary in Jenny's cauldron, I believe. Or maybe that's the movie thinking, making me believe it. But he, he slips it into Jenny's belongings. And I don't, I still don't understand exactly why. Like, why give it to Jenny specifically? Was he, did he just have it on him and he was trying to get... I think it was partly motivated by him trying to frame Arthur. I can see that. But that's the only thing I could think of as to why Jenny. Of all the people, why not a Slytherin? I... I think he was just trying to get back at Arthur. Which then begs the question, what did what did Malfoy think that it was? Because we know he that he didn't know that it was a Horcrux. No. He didn't know exactly what it was. Or what it, I mean, in his mind, it could have just been, you know, almost like a self-writing diary. A diary that talks back. So I just, I don't understand why he was so eager to get rid of it. What he thought it was. And why Jenny? I think he was also under orders, but I don't know why now. Yeah, I don't see where this all fit into the grand scheme of things. Surely nobody thought, even if they knew it was a Horcrux, surely they didn't think, okay, we'll give it to this Weasley girl and she'll be possessed by the Dark Lord and help bring him back, you know? <laughs> I, I think the plan was still to open the Chamber of Secrets, mm. but I'm not sure they really knew how that would work. I just wish it was better explained. Now, in the next chapter, we have a line that on my first read-through, I read it as Molly being very ignorant in assuming that Arthur didn't change the inside of the car to make it bigger. But then I thought she could have been being sarcastic. And that leads me to, I'm bad at understanding when people are being sarcastic. And I also assume that everyone is has the best intentions. <laughs> I also found it odd that they actually thought it would be... I, I don't understand why Ron actually thought that stealing the car was a good idea ever. Like, the adults would be coming back soon, and they would realize that the barrier was broken, and then they would get them to school. Right. <laughs> the logic is... There is no logic. It's just, he wants to steal the car. And he can justify it in this moment. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, surely the adults would have been through the platform in about, mm, I'm going to say 20 minutes tops. Right. And they just could have been like, hey, we couldn't get through for whatever reason. Will, will you guys take us to school? Will you take this car and take us to school? Just very, very teenage boy of them. They couldn't have been the first students in the history to, like, miss the train. Right. 
Surely this has happened before. Well, maybe not this, but... <laughs> Something like missing this. Missing the trade. Also, Arthur's fabulous magic only sort of works, which is sad. Also, once they get punished, they are given, like, a punishment meal of sandwiches, which is still all you can eat. Yep. Bottomless sandwiches. When Errol shows up, they all are just freaking out because this large blob just, like, landed in their food. And Hermione is mostly concerned with making sure he's still alive and no one else is. (laughs) So, good Hermione. And again, Lockhart's single obsession comes back to... He assumes he was the reason Harry stole the car. Which I know I shouldn't find it as infuriating as I do, but I do. Lockhart just gets on my nerves from just the minute we meet him. And also, this is the chapter where we meet Justin Finch Fletchley. Yep. And just everything about him. I didn't write any specific notes. I just, we meet Justin Finch Fletchley. (laughs) Well, and then we find out, you know, he has a little obsession with, with Harry, really. Colin is also obsessed with a singular obsession. Just wizard pictures in general, which makes sense if he was born a muggle and brought up a muggle. And he just wants to, he wants to take pictures of everything so he can show his parents and his brother. It's so cute. And and Oliver Woods also has a singular obsession because all he cares about is Quidditch. (laughs) Literally, that's all. Like, he is not a multidimensional character at all. He is just Quidditch. This is also the chapter that we learn what howlers are. Yes, it is. I was also struck by how Harry wanted to go clean the trophy room. Oh, yeah. Because he, he was used to, uh, he was used to muggle housework. Yes. And Ron thought, Ron was like, this is the worst punishment ever. No magic. I have to just, you know, use elbow grease. <laughs> and this is now the first chapter where Harry hears the voice. And the thing, this is another thing that always bothers me about this book. It's not that nobody hears the voice. Nobody even hears the hissing. I know. Like they hear nothing. Which very much makes it seem like it's just in Harry's head, but we know it's not. Right, right. And then we have the Death Day Party, which has always been my favorite chapter for some reason, even though not much happens. But Nick is never quite good enough. That's his single obsession. And also Death Day Parties in general sound awesome. Mm, I think with a little better Except f- for the food. I, was say, I think with a little better food, yeah, it would be pretty cool. Then in the next chapter is when Mrs. Norris is petrified. And this reminded me of the quote from one of the centaurs in the first book where they say the innocent are the first to suffer. Hmm. I see. I see. But is Mrs. Norris innocent? I'm going to say yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Cats are evil, but innocent. (laughs) No. And then Lockhart lists basically everything. Everything it could possibly be except what it is. Literally everything else. And he assumes Miss Norris is dead. He's like, oh, I know what killed her. It was this. It was this. It was this. (laughs) Thank God for Dumbledore. And he's like, uh, no, she's petrified. She'll be fine. I love how Dumbledore just kind of of ignores Lockhart the whole time. The whole time. (laughs) (laughs) And Professor Ben's obsession is the fact that he sticks to his schedule. Even on the day that he died, he got up and... Taught class. <laughs> and then Myrtle. Myrtle exists. <laughs> We're introduced to her in this chapter, I believe. I have this quote from her where she's, No one wants to upset me. That's a good one. That's her obsession. Everyone's obsessed with something in this book. And hers is her death. Actually, it's more obsession with people trying to upset her. 
very easily offended Myrtle is, yes. I was also kind of struck with the similarities here of how Hermione comes up with a plan that is going to take a month. She insists it's the best plan, even though she's the one that's in the most danger, and she is going to take a month to do this plan. Yeah, this would be her singular obsession, which is very odd for Hermione because it breaks, you know, about 50 school rules. (laughs) And it involves you know, breaking into Snape's secret office for potion ingredients. Very un-Hermione-like. Right. Does it ever cross these three? Does it ever cross Hermione, Ron, or Harry's mind? Like, hey, maybe this just isn't our business. Let's just let the adults figure this one out. It never, ever crosses their mind. They're just like, we can figure it out. We can do it. Mm. Why why would that cross their mind? (laughs) Woods is completely clueless about everything around him that isn't Actually, even if it is Quidditch, if it's not going to plan, he doesn't notice it at all. Also, Dobby is used to death threats. Mm -hmm. Dobby gets them five times a day. Yeah. And at this point, we don't know who Dobby's family that he works for is. No. No, we do not. Not yet. And that's actually something that one of the changes that she had made in the original UK version when Lucius shows up at the end and Dobby's just there. Mm-hmm. At first, it's just kind of like, why is Dobby there? He just kind of randomly showed up. And so she added like a whole paragraph about him cleaning Lucius's shoes to make that transition make more sense. Right. My next question is, how did they cover up the last opening? Like, I know it's been 50 years, but like, that's a massive cover up yeah a student died at school and everything how was uh how did pr handle that and how did it get to the point where nobody even knew what the chamber of secrets was yeah like no parents told their kids ever like back in my day at hogwarts you you know no kid ever heard that story except draco yeah of course percy is a tattletale (laughs) i am also a tattletale percy is wrong and you are right yes (laughs) i also like how, how lockhart always starts off as if he's in control and very quickly just loses control with everything he does. Literally everything. I also found it interesting that Harry had no idea that he was actually speaking a different language. I know, it was just like... It just happens. And then afterwards, he really still wasn't aware until Ron tells him, I don't know, you just started making this weird hissing sound and Harry's like, me? What? I was telling it to stop. Like, how do you not know that? I was also kind of struck how Dumbledore points out that people are more worried about nearly headless Nick being petrified than any of the other students because we know how we're gonna save them also it is never explained how nick is cured of whatever happened to him he turned into black smoke and then he comes back later yeah how did they administer the polyjuice potion to a ghost not polyjuice potion no mandrake potion mandrake potion i am not sure also about polyjuice potion though it's interesting that everybody's turns a different color and what what does that mean is that like their aura or their flavor i'm going to assume it is also the flavor but why (laughs) also why does hermione not want to be a cat she should just be a cat i don't think you're supposed to do that though well no it lasted way too long it's not normal no But couldn't it be a cat? Why don't you just be a cat? Just own it. It's fine. <laughs> I also kind of found... When, when Harry reads the, the diary and he just kind of 
believes everything that he is told. She's like, I also believe everything that I read, but then I Google it. Wizards in the 90s don't have Google, though. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure they still have Google. Nope, but they got libraries. They do have libraries that cover stuff up. Also, Dippet is completely blind to Tom being Tom. How is Dumbledore the only one that sees through him? Yeah, I mean, because that's kind of Dumbledore is even the one that goes and gets him from the orphanage. Maybe that's why. Exactly. And Dumbledore saw even then in the orphanage, like, okay, there is something a little off with this kid, but maybe, you know, just a good loving environment, a few square meals, maybe he'll be fine. (laughs) Right. But that's kind of like the, the definition of a psychopath, is it? I mean, isn't it? I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. Can blend in with society, but is a horrible yeah. person, really? <laughs> no, 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 no. Not, now you're making Voldemort like Dexter, and I don't like that. No, no, no. Not like Dexter. Think like Ted Bundy, almost, if you will. Yeah. Also, I wrote autism moms are like muggle-borns. I'm not entirely sure why I had that thought or wrote that down. I just wrote that down. Yeah, we'll have to explore that sometime. (laughs) (laughs) I also just had the the thought of Ginny is allowed to just enter the boys' dormitory and just, like, tear it apart. But, like, boys can't enter the girls' dormitory at all. They, they address this in a later book. Hermione comes out and says, yeah, it's a very old and outdated rule, but the founders assumed that girls would be more trustworthy than boys, so that's why they're allowed to go into the boys' dormitory. Have you met teenage girls? They are definitely not more trustworthy. If anything, they are sneakier. Obviously not. She breaks in and steals the diary. Exactly. We're gonna go to Gringotts, but first... When Draco is in Bergen and Burks, he examines a cursed necklace that has killed how many of its muggle owners? Mm. We'll be right back. This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. And we are back. Lavender, how many muggle owners did the necklace kill? Ooh, this is a good trivia question, Queerness. I do not know, so I'm going to take a guess and say 11? 19. Ah, I was close. (laughs) Once again, I'm terrible at trivia. The basilisk wants to kill. Basilisk doesn't want to eat. Which is very odd. I agree. There's no real mention of eating. There are skeletons of small rodents in the chamber, but I don't know if they actually ate those. Right. And continuously, the basilisk just keeps saying, kill, kill, kill. And you're right, never eat. Good point. He doesn't eat the chickens either. It just sends Ginny to kill him. Also, the Hufflepuffs don't get to play Quidditch this year. Not really. I was kind of, no, I think they do. They just don't get to play this one game. And I don't I, re- I just remembered it was sad because the Hufflepuffs didn't get to play. And then I looked up how it worked. Each team only plays three games a year. It doesn't make any sense. They play once against each house. Just once? Yeah. I th- it was in this one where it was just like their first game was like in October. And then the second game was like after Christmas break. And then the third game got canceled. And it was just like. Why is there only three games and why are they spread out like that? Mm. But yeah, each team plays each other house one time. It's a lot of training for just four games. Yeah. Potentially four games. And what is with Fudge's 
outfit? Is he trying to look like a muggle? <laughs> With the bowler hat? That and the, his whole outfit is described as just being weird. He wears pinstripe robes, right? Are they robes? It's pinstripe. Which I always thought was weird as a kid. <laughs> also, how do they feed Fang if they can't leave the castle? They're instructed to feed Fang and then they go and get Fang later. But who's feeding him? Hmm. Hopefully Dumbledore. Dumbledore's not there. That we know of. It's gotta be McGonagall. But does McGonagall know to feed him? Poor Fang. Poor Fang. And then we meet Aragog. And then we meet Aragog. <laughs> Aragog is terrifying. But I wrote down this one quote that... I found very interesting. He said, My sons and daughters do not harm Hagrid on my command, but I cannot deny them fresh meat when it wanders so willingly into our midst. Goodbye, friends of Hagrid. Yeah. Now, McGonagall, her one obsession is schoolwork. (laughs) The exams will therefore take place as usual, and I trust you are all studying hard. Can you imagine that? Like, if you were in a school and people are, you know, for lack of a better term, they're just dropping left and right. They're being petrified left and right. Nobody knows who's next. And still your teacher is like, study hard for these exams. Like, it's just not a good learning environment. Well, and I like the fact that it says that nobody thought to study. (laughs) (laughs) Just... Yeah. Of course they didn't. They're just trying to survive. Right. Most schools would like, you would still take tests, you would still go through class, but then they just, they're always looking for an excuse to cancel exams. (laughs) The teachers hate them, the kids hate them. Percy's one-track mind again. He assumes Ginny is tattling on him. For having a girlfriend, yes. I mean, but in Percy's defense, it's not like he, it's not like he assumed Ginny was the one doing all these terrible things either. No. Now, this is also the point when I also had the thought, because they mentioned more words show up under the old words. And like, this is magic paint, and it's not blood. Do they ever get rid of it? Right. (laughs) And if so, how? Because that was a big theme of, well, it wasn't really a big theme, but it was a theme of uh, Filch trying to, you know, get it off every way he knew how and couldn't. So does it just disappear at the end? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think we can assume so. Because Ginny's the one that writes it, so it's not like Tom is writing it and then it would just disappear. I guess we can assume so since it's never mentioned again in the books. Also, they they overhear the teachers trying to get rid of Lockhart. <laughs> Like, they specifically say, he is gone now, now we can try to figure this out. Yeah, now he's out of our way. (laughs) But they still think the best thing to do is to talk to Lockhart about what they know. They've been not talking to teachers this whole time, why start now? I also found it kind of odd that Lockhart did not react much at all to the fact that they seemed to know stuff, that there was a ghost in the girl's bathroom. The fact that they were in a girl's bathroom. He just kind of went along with that part. (laughs) Also, once they got into the chamber, one thing that I noticed that is very specifically different from the movies is that the chamber was completely dry. Yeah. Not like half submerged like in the movie, which I liked. But it's also like snakes are dry and not moist. No. Moist. And again, another Harry being oblivious 
Tom is like just standing there and he has Harry's wand and he's like just telling him that she's going to die and he's like completely clueless that he's the bad guy. I think he's just confused overall. Yeah. And then we have an anagram. Autistic people love anagrams. Tom Marvolo Riddle. I am Lord Voldemort. I thought it was quite clever how J.K. Rowling did this. Tom doesn't care about his snake. <laughs> it, it, it loses its eyes, but there's still a job to do, so it has to go do his job. Yeah, and he's like super mean about it too. He's like, you still have a nose. Smell him out. Yeah. Instead of just being like, to your left, he's to your left or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like the least helpful boss ever. Yeah, for someone who really likes snakes, he's not very snake friendly. I guess he's just not friendly to anyone. Nope, not in his nature. And then when Dumbledore finally returns, I like how Dumbledore knows everything. And he's just like, what interests me the most is how is it that Lord Voldemort managed to enchant Ginny? And it's just like, how does he already know that? He knows it, but like... He also says it just so that Harry doesn't have to try to explain that it was Ginny's fault. Well, and he never, he never comes out and says, Malfoy, I know this was you. No, I'm not sure if he does, though. He probably does. But it's Harry that comes out and says it. And that brings us to our thoughts on the whole thing. So, like I said, I did not pick up on the theme of these single-minded obsessions but they were really everywhere in this book yeah after going through and talking about it i would agree the other common theme that i did notice throughout it that was another autism thing was complete obliviousness to the world going on around you and this is something that we've seen with harry when he was talking to tom it's something that we've seen with oliver wood the entire time something we've seen with Lockhart the entire time but also like when Mrs. Weasley seemed to be oblivious to the fact that the car was more enchanted than she knew it was but especially Dobby and the fact that Dobby is trying to help but he is completely oblivious to the fact that he is not helping no that he is hurting quite literally more than helping <laughs> not kill maim or seriously injured <laughs> or seriously injured well that brings us to the end of chamber of secrets mm -hmm. if you agreed with us disagreed with us found something in these books that was metaphorical that to you and you want to share that story with us or if you just have a harry potter or autism related story and just want to share that we would love to hear from you uh you can reach out to us at spewcast at gmail.com to send us some owl mail or if you want to send us a howler, we'd appreciate that. You can send us an audio file. You can click on the link in the description. Or if you're in the U.S., you can give us a call at 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739. And next month on the 15th, we will be reading Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, we will be just reading and covering the first 11 chapters. Mm -hmm. Books start to get a little longer, so we're going to stretch it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let me also note that Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite Harry Potter book. It has time travel, and I like time travel. Next, we're going to talk about Autism Wizards. And this month, I would like to talk about the Theater Development Fund. So on March 1st of this month... Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on Broadway performed their first autism-friendly performance. 
This was in association with TDF. And basically how it worked is kind of interesting. TDF purchased and then resold every seat in the house at discounted prices to people with autism and their families. Hmm. They had volunteers kind of stationed around the theater and they had quiet zones and fidget toys kind of set up in various locations. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. Also, they modified some of the lighting and strobe effects and sounds and stuff to be a little bit quieter and the lights in the theater did not go completely out. Yeah, so it's not so jarring. Yeah. I also have some news that I wanted to bring up because this was announced right after we recorded our last episode. And that is there is a new audiobook being released on March 31st of Tales of Beetle the Bard. This is the first audiobook for Tales of Beetle of the Bard, and it's got a huge cast. Ivana Lynch is reading The Fountain of Fair Fortune. Bonnie Wright is reading Babbity Rabbity of the Kakawik Stump. <laughs> Jason Isaacs is reading The Warlock's Hairy Heart. Warwick Davis is reading The Wizard in the Hopping Pot. And then Noma Dmezweni? Noma Dmezweni? I don't know how to say her last name. She was the original Hermione in the West End and Broadway productions of Cursed Child. But she is reading The Tale of the Three Brothers. Man, it'll be worth it to listen to it on audiobook just for this cast. That's awesome. And then Jude Law is returning to read Dumbledore's Notes. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> and then Sally Mortimer, who played Madame Pence, she is reading the introduction. So wonderful large cast to read these short stories you guys should definitely check it out and also check out our previous podcast on tales of beetle the bard actually we covered just one of the stories in our animagus episode we talked about babbity rabbity and her cackling stump we need to cover the full book later yeah don't forget you guys can check us out on spewpod.uk is our web handle we are on twitter at spectrum people and also on facebook that's facebook.com slash spewcast we're also on Instagram, at SpewPod. And don't forget, you can send us owl mail and howlers. 407-706-SPEW, which is 407-706-7739 for our howler. Or owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com. And as always, we'd like to thank Joan Burr for our theme music. Until next time, I'm Queerness. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says, don't worry, you're just the same as I am. Bye. Bye.